So, uh, hey, Debbie Hale, can you come on up before we dive into the message? I wanted to invite Debbie up and have her share something. Can we welcome Debbie? All right, Debbie, how you doing? Okay. Good. <laughs> good. Not too nervous there. Yeah, you made it up. That's always yeah. good. So, um, tell us a couple. I don't know if it was a couple weeks, a couple months ago, but you were having some uh, some issues. You want to kind of let us know what that was? Yeah, um, a few months ago. I was having like really severe abdominal pains and around my back and everything, and uh, it went on for weeks. I went to my doctor. They gave me some antibiotics and stuff, and and it finally got a little bit better. Then a week later, it like came back. (laughs) Went back to the doctor, and uh, they're still putting me through tests and everything, but um, I was in pain for weeks again, and I came in, and I said something to Dave, and he told me, well, you know, you should get prayer, and I said, oh, yeah, you know, I should do that. So I got prayer that day, and it was letting up. And by that night, I had no pain, right. and I haven't had any since. And it's been like Woo. six weeks or so. Praise God, huh? Give him the glory. <laughs> so that was really awesome. Yeah, that, <laughs> your story really impacted me because I was just like, hey, just, just do me a favor. Just go get some prayer. And I didn't know whether or not, you know, you went or not. And next week, I just care. I just want to know, hey, how are you doing? Oh, I was healed. What? <laughs> And, uh, and that's what's been happening as people are taking authority over things in their life and as people are, are giving God the opportunity, we will never tell people, oh, don't go to the doctor or something like that. No, no, get the test done. Let them take a look at it. But our hope is not in the power, the ability, or the wisdom of doctors. Yeah. And so praise God. It's really neat stuff, huh? Yeah. Did you, you wanted to share one other thing that we've been praying about? Yes. Yeah. Um, there's a little boy. His name is Jacob. He's only two years old. About four weeks ago, he fell in the pool and drowned. He, uh, somebody came to me and another friend of mine at work and asked us to put him on prayer lists and stuff. So we did that and we've been praying. The doctor said he was brain dead. And as soon as we started praying, like within a couple of days, this little boy started, um, they took down the, uh, they had him on life support. They took the ventilator down a couple of notches. Mm-hmm. Um, things started happening that they thought can't be possible. And uh, then... Um, he's responding when his parents, like his mom tickles his feet and he pulls him back and stuff. They finally took him off the ventilator and he's breathing on his own. Yeah. They uh, took him in for surgery a week ago for um, to put a, a feeding tube in his stomach to feed him. And he's still been unconscious, hasn't opened his eyes. And the doctors are, well, I guess he's not brain dead, but they're really baffled, so... We're praying. We're going to just keep praying for little right. Jacob for That's full right. recovery. When he opens Amen. his eyes, that there's no brain damage. We know That's God right. can do it. That's right. Praise God. Praise God. <laughs> and so pray for Jacob. Praise Amen. Yes. Yeah. Pray for yeah. Jacob. <laughs> and see, there's there's movement. We got to keep at it. Remember, Jesus told us, pray and don't give up. Thank you, Debbie. Thank you. Yes. Oh, I love it. I love what God is doing in our church to stir up basically our own faith that people are believing God. We're standing on our authority and we are seeing more and more healings just in these last number of weeks. And we're going to keep sharing those with you little by little each week. Um, you're sharing different stories of financial breakthroughs and physical healings and, and transformations in people's lives. So it's, uh, it's really exciting. I love to watch this stuff happening. Why don't you turn with me to Romans chapter 6, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans in the New Testament there. And uh, this morning we're continuing our series called Winning the Battle for Purity. And uh, as many of you know, we started this series because God wants to uh, uh, bring wholeness, wants to bring joy 
uh, wants to bring intimacy into our life. And this issue of sexual purity is, is absolutely a, a major crucial issue. In our culture, many of you know this, but uh, some of you might be alarmed that statistically about 60% of men are addicted to pornography and about 40% of women, I'm referring specifically to internet pornography. In fact, uh, internet pornography among women and even adultery among women is increasing rapidly in our culture. So this is a major issue, uh, let alone the fact that if I were to name any major brokenness issue in our society that's tearing at the fabric of our Families and at the society, it probably related to sex, right? Abortions, divorce, abuse, uh, adultery. I mean, if I could just keep going down the line, those very things that are tearing at the fabric of our society are related to sex sins. And what we are talking about in this series is how to get free from those sexual addictions and how to get pure. But it's not the focus, as many of you remember what we talked about, it's not the focus on just stopping behavior. We want to win. We want to score. We want to come into a place of wholeness in our emotions and and experience the pleasures of knowing God and the pleasures of intimacy and joy in, in, in a covenant of marriage like God intended it to be. And so the series is really about wholeness and, uh, and, and allowing God to transform us. Last week, we um, taught on what we called the key to victory, that number one thing that you got to do, and uh, that first step thing, and we, we, we talked about the, what was called true repentance, because there is such a thing as false repentance, there's such a thing as true repentance. We showed the difference. If you didn't get that message, pick that one up in the back as well at the sound booth, and we, um, we showed that... that uh, that in order to really get free, you've got to make a decision to uh, a, a mental, emotional, you know, uh, a decision of the will to really hate that sin and want to to to, uh, to please God. It's really a decision that this is going to be for God, not for me, not for somebody else. This isn't me just trying to avoid consequences. This is this is an issue of God and me, and He knows my heart, and that's the that's the root. Right, that's the key to the victory right there. Well, today we're going to talk about offensive strategy. Actually, let me read to you 1 Peter 4 real quick. Uh, <clears throat> let me just, uh, I just want to show you 1 Peter 4 before we dive into, uh, I think it's up there on the, on the screen if they haven't. 1 Peter 4, verse 1 and 2. Listen to what Peter says about true repentance. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. Done with it. Verse 2. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. That's true repentance. It doesn't mean that uh, you make that decision and you're done struggling. It means that you are done living for yourself. I'm living for the will of God. That's the key to victory. Well, today we're going to talk about offensive strategies because the word of god has strategies practical uh, uh, uh powerful strategies to get us free and get us on the path towards a uh, path of victory and path towards purity uh if you remember in second timothy 2.22 i quoted this uh timothy says i'm sorry paul says to timothy flee youthful lust so we're going to talk about defensive strategies how to keep the other team, the enemy, from scoring on us, keeping us from losing. But remember, if you are a, uh, if you're playing sports, the best defense is a great offense. In fact, think of the purpose of defense. Do you know? I used to play soccer a lot. I love soccer. Even you could think of uh, basketball, football. Do you want the ball on your side of the field or their side? The whole goal 
of defense is to get back on offense. And so we're going to talk about defensive strategies that are absolutely important. I'll, I'll talk to you about that later. But the whole point of a defensive strategy is to keep the enemy from scoring and then get right back on offense. And that's what we're going to talk about. How to get out of a defensive posture and into an offensive posture. Um, and, Tim, and Paul says to Timothy, flee youthful lust. That's a defensive. But he says, and pursue And he talks about this pursuit, this offensive, aggressive movement forward towards righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. With those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. See, because you're not going to be able to do this by yourself. Can't play the game by yourself or can't win the game by yourself. Might be funny if you tried to play the game by yourself, uh, but you'd probably lose. You know what I'm saying? Imagine just you playing football. With all these other guys just tackling, you probably wouldn't make it very far. So we need each other, and we're going to focus on this, um, on this thing called offensive strategy. So we're going to turn to Romans chapter 6, and I'm going to show you from Romans chapter 6 an offensive strategy. Let me give you the context real quick. Paul is writing to the church at Rome, and in chapters 1 through 5, he's laid out uh, what we call the gospel, the good news about Jesus. In fact, any time Paul ever had an issue with somebody or with a church, he always brought them back to the gospel. You know, like if you went to Paul for a counseling session, he'd bring you right back to Jesus and what he did on the cross. That's like all Paul ever did. And that's pretty much what we do because we know that the gospel is the power to save. And so in Romans chapter 1 through 5, he lays it out and he basically says, hey, look, bottom line, we have all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of, of the standard, his standard of righteousness. We've all fallen short of the calling of God in our life. We do not have the ability in ourselves to earn God's favor or please God or fulfill what God has called us to do. We've all fallen short of that. But we've also uh, been justified freely, been made right with God, freely by his grace through the finished work of the cross. And it's, and it's when we put our trust in Jesus. And so he lays out from Romans 1 to 5 this thing called grace. And he says, hey, you can't earn it. But by the grace of God, you've been made right with God. And you remember that we ended, um, we we looked at a verse at the end of chapter 5. In fact, I've been prophetically declaring this over your heart, that where sin abounds, grace all the more. No matter how big your sin, no matter how much you have done in the past, no matter the sin against you, how big the sin against you was, no matter how, how bad the addiction or the sin is you're in right now, the truth is that grace is bigger. That grace is more powerful than anything else. And so Paul ends chapter 5 with this and declares over us that grace is sufficient. And then he's going to shift into chapter 6, 7, and 8. And he's going to talk about how to apply this thing called grace that is sufficient for us to our lives for victory. So in 6 through 8, he's going to talk to us about how to walk in victory. And I'm going to call it offensive strategy. So look with me in Romans 6. Actually, boy, I'm the one who's bad. I'm not there yet. All right, Romans chapter 6. He says this in verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? See, grace is so amazing. Grace is so free. Grace is such a wonderful thing that many times people, when they don't understand grace, will ask that question like, oh, okay, so you're saying that Jesus forgives me of my sin and, I, and all that, so like I can just keep sinning and like I'm okay with God? And it's like, and listen to what Paul says, by no means. He's like, what are you thinking? Why would you... Go back into the destructive thing that Jesus just saved you from. Right? It's like a guy drowning in an ocean. Help, save me, save me. And then the lifeguard comes and rescues him. And then the guy goes back, jumps right in the ocean and starts drowning again. It makes no sense. 
And so Paul says, by no means, what are you thinking? No way. God saved, Jesus didn't die so you could continue to live a life that was broken and destructive to you and to others. He died on the cross to forgive you, make you right with God, and to bring healing and restoration in your life. So Paul's like, what are you talking about? Grace is the very thing that's going to bring victory. And oftentimes people, when they, when they don't understand this dynamic of grace, they just trample on the grace of God and treat it as a vain or purposeless thing. Paul says, man, no, not us. Okay, so in verse 2 he says, we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Here's what Paul is saying. See, most of us here are already convinced that it is historical fact that Jesus died on a cross, a Roman cross, 2,000 years ago. Yeah, Jesus of Nazareth, real man, really died, nailed to a cross, crucified. Yeah, Dave, I believe that historical fact. Good. And most of us here have already been convinced, and if you haven't, I'll talk to you about the proof of this, that Jesus on the third day rose again. Historical fact. He rose. But the problem is most believers, that's all it is, is a historical fact. An inspiring story. Something that happened. Something that happened to Jesus. Something that happened 2,000 years ago. But listen to what Paul is saying. Verse 3. Don't you know? Don't you realize? This isn't just a historical fact. This isn't just something that happened to Jesus. When Jesus died, you died. When Jesus rose, you rose. That's what he's saying. That this isn't something just that happened. This is something that has happened or is, is happening in our life. That's something that has happened when we put our trust in Jesus. So let me explain it real quick here. The Bible calls this being in Christ. So that when you have put your trust in Jesus and you said, yes, Lord, you, Jesus, you be my Lord. I believe you died and you rose again. What happened just simply by you making that choice, by you putting your trust in what Jesus has done, it's as that you were put in Christ and the Bible calls it being put in Christ and that you were united with him, which means whatever happened to him happened to you. And whatever is true of him is true of you. It's as if the, this Bible and Jesus is the word, right? It's as if this Bible is Jesus and 2000 years ago, he was crucified and it says if these papers are you and when you put your trust in Jesus, you came into Christ and as if spiritually speaking, boom, you were on the cross with Jesus and you died with Jesus and then you were raised to new life. And what Paul is saying in verses three and five and six is he's saying that baptism is that spiritual symbol and spiritual declaration that when you go under the water, you're going in the watery grave with Jesus. You are literally making a decision by faith. It's not just the water that's doing it. It's, the G, it's Jesus. But that literally you are dying with Christ and rising to a new life. See, you're dead. Listen to what Paul says. Don't you know? You're dead to sin. You're dead. You're dead to all those things that people have said about you. You're dead to all those bad things that have happened to you. You're dead to all those things you've done. You are dead to all that sin that you're struggling with. You're dead to that. 
You're not that person anymore. You are free. You are forgiven. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5 says that when Jesus died, he put to death all the old things. All the old things of this world, of this kingdom, the kingdom of this world, and all the things of your past, he put it to death. And when he raised to new life, he brought all the new things, the reality of the kingdom, he brought it to life and applied it to you by the power of his spirit. And so the Bible says you're a new creation, literally a new person. You're not that old person anymore. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. See, whatever's true of Jesus is true of you. So if Jesus is right with God, you're right with God. You get all that Jesus has. So, listen to verse, let's go down to verse 11. So, Paul's going to say, so Jesus died, and Jesus lives. Jesus died to sin, and he lives to God. And listen to verse 11. In the same way, in the same way, in the same way of what? In the same way that Jesus died and rose. In the same way that Jesus is dead to sin and alive to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the offensive strategy that we need to get our minds. We need to cause ourselves to consider, to count, to think this way, to align ourselves with the reality of what Paul just talked about in verses 1 through 10. See, our mind is a processor of input. You know, there's been a lot of research nowadays in, on, the, uh, on the brain. It's this great mystery, but people are starting to understand how the mind works. There's all these books out there nowadays. It's really actually quite fascinating. I don't know nearly enough. But I know enough to understand this, that the brain is simply a processor of information. Whatever input it receives, it simply processes it stores it and categorizes it but here's the problem with our mind not the problem but it's insufficiency it is not a discerner of what's true and false your brain you in and of yourself do not know what is reality and what is not reality what is true and what is false your brain does not have the ability in itself to process that and so this is what happens and some of you know this and some of you don't that if you're told something long enough, whether it's true or whether it's a lie, doesn't matter. Whatever your brain receives as input, you will process it, store it, and it will shape the way you see things. That's the way our brain works. It's actually a brilliant thing that God uh, made. It's great that he made the brain this way, but the enemy also knows this. And so what happens is most people who are addicted right, to sexual sin or to other things the addiction runs very deep oftentimes to fatherlessness where where maybe wounds because of emptiness in the relationship dysfunctions in the home things that were said over us over long periods of time oftentimes and i mentioned to you this a couple of weeks ago that with uh, oftentimes with sexual sin it young people are, are and it's and it's increasing are sexualized very young they'll see pornographic things but by the time they're statistically it's on the average age, age 11 which that was a couple of years ago i actually think it's younger than that for men and i've talked to a number of guys and it's about that age or younger 
And so what happens is these images, these thoughts, these wounds that we have become so ingrained in our minds that uh, our brain just processes them and stores this information that we actually get these ruts in our mind. Literally, in, in our brain, there's like these grooves, like the grooves on a record player or like the ruts in a road. And so try, try, try as hard as you want. Your car just keeps falling into that same rut. And the problem isn't that you're not trying hard enough. The problem is that you're focused on yourself. The problem is that you've aligned yourself with the wrong reality. The, The battle is actually just simply between our two ears. Right here in the mind. Most of us, you would even say that for a sports game. If you lose the battle in your mind, you've lost, right? You've lost the game. If you think, I cannot win this game, this team's better than us, we're just going to lose. If you think that, you will, that will become your reality. That's just true in, a, in this a purely natural sense. We literally need our minds washed with the Word. People say, Dave, this sounds kind of like pop psychology. No, they stole the biblical principles... <laughs> And took Christ out of it, which means they have no power in it. And this isn't just nice, like, thinking, like, oh, just like, I'm a good person, I'm a good person. No, this is truth. This is reality. And people will say, but isn't this like brainwashing? And I go, your brain has been being washed since you were born. That's how your mind works. You've been brainwashed for your whole life. (laughs) Whatever input you have been receiving throughout your whole life That has become your reality. Your brain does not know how to distinguish between truth and lie. There's only one way we know what is true and what is lie. God's word. That's it. Go all the way back to Genesis 2 and 3. All they had was his word. Hey, you can eat from any tree. I'm a good guy. Enjoy life. But don't eat from that tree because it will bring death in your life. All they had was his word. And they had a decision to make. And Eve decided to listen to the deception of the enemy... And allow that input to cause her to begin to see things differently, right? Oh, hey, well, the tree does look good. And she began to reason in her mind, you know, pros and cons. And, well, hey, I mean, that'll get wisdom. And she started to doubt God and and whether or not he was holding out on her and whatnot. And so Eve went for that fruit and handed it off to her husband. They both ate from the fruit. And here we are today. So from the very beginning, the issue is they received input. And the question is whether they're going to believe the word or they're going to believe this, this, the enemy. Were they going to believe the word or they were going to look at things through their own natural human reasoning? And so Paul says what is an absolute biblical principle that the way you get freedom, that the battle's in the mind. And the way you get freedom is by getting your mind convinced that this is true. See, because Paul is saying, don't you know you died with Christ? You're united with Christ. You're righteous in Christ. If you put your faith in Jesus, if you trust Him as your forgiver and leader, then you're dead to sin and alive to God. So begin to consider yourself that way. Think that way. Align yourself with that reality. If you align yourself with the reality of this world system, with this kingdom, if you align yourself and you think that you're a failure, you think you're a sinner, then that's the way you're going to live. But if you align yourself with the reality of the kingdom of God and position yourself in the reality of who you are in Christ, you tap into supernatural power for victory. 
<clears throat> Paul says this so many thousands, of, a couple thousand years before modern science. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. By the renewing and the renewing and the renewing and the renewing of your mind. It's over and over and over and over and over again. You've got to bombard your heart and your mind with the Word of God. You've got to fill your heart and mind with the Word of God. You've got to convince yourself that this is true. You've got to take the Word of God and allow it to wash over all those ruts and all those grooves and break down all those lies until what's replaced is the truth of God. And you, in a sense, create new ruts, the good ones. The Bible calls this strongholds in 2 Corinthians 10, that literally that we've erected these strongholds that keep out the good and keep in the bad. And there are these walls, these fortresses that keep us thinking a certain way. And that what we need is the truth to break down those walls. It takes time, it takes work, and it takes being in community. That's why we need each other. Not so we can hold each other accountable to sinning, so we can hold each other accountable to do the offensive thing, to do the strategic thing. <clears throat> what happens is if you will shift out of a defensive posture and shift into an offensive posture by doing this, by considering, counting, meditating, renewing your mind, convincing your mind of this reality, what will happen is you will move down the field, yard by yard, first down by first down, right into the end zone. It's a process. It takes time. And you might get sacked sometimes. You might fumble the ball sometimes. When men come to me and I counsel them, I try to get them out of the defensive posture and into an offensive posture where every day, all day, they're convincing their mind that they are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And inch by inch, yard by yard, First down by first down, we head right into the end zone. It's a process. It's a journey of renewing your mind. But if you'll stick with it, it will be the very thing that will carry you along the path towards victory and bring wholeness and healing and intimacy in your life. This is what we call the offensive strategy. Why? Because it moves the ball down the field. That's what, it, that's what we're doing. <clears throat> See, the problem, let me just say it this way. Um, Romans chapter 7, Paul talks about himself struggling. He says, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I want to do. And we can all relate to that struggle. But he's talking about struggling in his own human effort. His focus is on himself. His focus is on his inabilities. And what happens is, it, it's... Um, it's what I call the, sh the shame cycle, and I'll show you why I say that in a second. It's this shame cycle that the shame, the feeling that I'm not worthy or I'm not loved or I'm dirty, I'm unclean, I'm hopeless, that shame attaches itself to those wounds or those past sins or those past lies, and it forms a noose around your neck. And Romans chapter 7 is the person who's trying so hard 
But I said I'm sorry a million times. And I made these promises. I'll never do it again. And, and I'm trying and I'm trying. And I did this and I did that. And I do all these different things. And guess what? So many believers, they are killing themselves. Strangling themselves on religious effort. Because the harder you pull, the harder you strain to try to get free in your own effort without breaking that shame cycle... Without, without dealing with this issue here that we're talking about, considering ourselves righteous in Christ, without doing that, then the harder you pull, the more the shame just tied to those wounds strangles you. We've got to break the shame. It's your number one enemy. The number one issue is that you're focused on you and your inabilities. And you're focused on a lie that God doesn't love you. I am telling you, every person I have ever met with struggles in any area, they don't know that God loves them. They might have heard it once. They might kind of believe it. But it hasn't touched the deep wounds. There's still these lies. Am I really saved? Does God really love me? Is there really any hope for me? It, doesn't, it, it, it manifests itself in a hundred different ways. But it's always the same root issue. And what does Paul say in Romans 8? How do you break that shame cycle? How do you get out of the Romans 7 defeat mentality? Romans chapter 8, 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's the truth that you're righteous in Christ. It's not about you. You didn't do it. You were united in Christ and made one with Christ. And simply what happened to him happened to you by grace through faith. It has nothing to do with you. And so condemnation has been broken off. And if you will align your thinking with this, cut that shame off you, that noose will be broken off, and you'll begin to start making yardage. People will say to me all the time, but Dave, I still sin. Yeah? How can I be righteous if I still sin? But you don't understand what I've done. But you don't understand how I feel. Right? They, what are they looking at? They're looking at their abilities or inability. They're looking at their experience. Healing is the same way. We do not believe the promises of God that by His stripes we're healed. We do not understand that He fully paid the price and has provided our inheritance with healing. So we don't expect Him to heal. Our experience, right? So we, ha- we don't have experience. We don't expect them to heal, so we don't see people healed. So then our experience tells us, oh, see, it might not have been God's will, right? which the Word never says. We come up with this reasoning in our mind. Then we have less expectation, so we see less results. And then we have less expectations, so we see less results. And the problem is not the Word, and it's not the cross. It's right here between our ears. And so people, even with healing, I mean, my goodness, they get so religious about it, you know, and just try, ah, I'm going to pray louder, you know, and I'm going to do this, ah, and, you know, try, ah, yeah, get all crazy and everything, get all, anyways. It's the same thing we do with healing. We just try to make it happen in our own strength. But it, you're already free. The power's already been made available. And when you step into that and you say this, I'm not going to believe my experience. I'm not going to base who I am in Christ on what I've done or not done. So someone says, but Dave, I still sin. Yeah, but you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 
I don't get it. I still sin. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Yeah, but I still make mistakes. But you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's not about you. It's who you are in Christ. It's about Jesus. What is true of him is true of you. And what you've got to do is you've got to stop thinking along the lines of your past, thinking along the lines of your experience. You literally have to say, no, I'm going to believe the word. And I'm going to convince my mind of the word. And say, I am the righteous of God in Christ. I am dead to sin alive to God. No matter what I feel, no matter what I think, no matter what I do, this is what God has said of me. This is what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. That's what I'm saying because that's what he's saying. And I'm not budging. You've got to make that decision. To consider yourself or to count yourself dead to sin and alive to God. And it means you're going to have to, in the midst of your failures, in the midst of the lack of experience, right? Our brain is trying to process input here. Okay, wait a minute. I see no scientific proof, no verifiable proof that I am the righteous God in Christ Jesus. All I have is the word. You've got to make a decision. Which one are you going to believe? Let me give you an illustration that's helped me a lot. Many people they will get, they'll, believe, they'll hear this truth and they'll believe it. Like right now, you're saying, yeah, amen, I'm the righteous of God. Amen, good. And I'm not talking about people who don't believe this. I'm talking about you who do believe it. The moment you put your faith in that, it's like a seed, seed of faith. The moment you put your faith in what I'm saying, that seed goes in the ground. But so many people, that's all it is. They hear it at church. So they feel good when they come to church. We sing it over and over again on the screen. Yeah, that's right. Same power. Amen. Same power. But when they go home, they don't know how to tap into that reality. Why? Because they're not considering. They're not renewing. They're not meditating. They're not filling their mind. So guess what? It only remains a seed. And so often, same thing with like healing, right? Someone gets sick. Oh, let's grab all the seeds we know. Let's eat the seeds. And there, there's no power, there's no nourishment, there's no life in the seeds. Right? It, it, it has the potential for life, for fruit, for the supernatural power of God. Here's what we need to do. Like I said, there's no easy way around this. You've got to renew your mind. You've got to work at this over and over and over again. When you meditate on the Word, when you fill your mind with the Word, you're watering the seed. And it's only as you wash over those lies... And you break that shame and you fill your mind with the word that the seed starts to sprout. It becomes a tree and it begins to bear fruit. And it's only when you have that fruit that you can reach up, pull that fruit in any given situation and eat from it. That's called faith. Now, I'm not saying that when you have the seed of faith that you don't have any faith. But a lot of times, and I, and I probably should make sure I clarify this, I'll tell people, yeah, you don't have the, because you don't believe. I don't mean that they don't want to believe or that they're not like applying some a measure of faith. What I mean is that you haven't grown that into fruit yet. So you're still striving in your own human effort. You're still trying to make the faith happen, you know. I'm going to eat some more seed and that's going to bring the healing. I'm going to eat some more seed and I'm going to get free, you know. And, and what, what we're doing is we're actually, counter, it's counterproductive, isn't it? So many people, they think, I just got to beat myself up more. It's like the prison doors have been flung open. The chains have fallen off. And you're in the prison going, God, set me free. Set me free, God. 
Doors open, dude. I mean... <laughs>